Well, hey there. Welcome to the Firehouse Forum podcast. I'm Dave Timberline with Firehouse Theater, and I'm very excited about today's show. Thank you for tuning in. I don't think I've had a single choreographer on the show yet. So to make up for that, I'm having two on this show. We're going to talk to Emily Dandridge, who is the choreographer for Preludes, currently playing here at Firehouse. And she is also she also will be playing Velma, one of the Jets, in the cast of West Side Story. So we'll be talking to her about Preludes and also about West Side Story. Emily is one of the most talented people I know. She is a teaching artist at Richmond Ballet. I know her mostly as a dancer, but she's also a choreographer, a singer, a musician. She played piano and sang for the Christians recently at Cadence Theater. So really excited to talk to her. And then we will also be talking to Justin Emilio, who is the director and choreographer of A Chorus Line, which is opening at Triangle Players this weekend. In fact, it will have opened by the time you hear this. So tickets are going very fast for A Chorus Line. So if you want to see that at Triangle Players, you might want to look that up real quick. I have some news as part of the intro today. Uh, Preludes was scheduled to close this weekend, but we will be extending that show through the end of the month. We've got dates going until June 30th, so check us out at firehousetheater.org for additional dates to see Preludes, the musical Fantasia that has been getting rave reviews and the audiences are loving it. And we are having a talk back tonight, Thursday, June 7th. So if you hear this in the morning, come out to see the show tonight. We're going to have Michael Goldberg, who is a meteorologist in town, but also is the classical music curator for WCVE, the Idea Stations, which just went to dual format. They're going to have all talk on one station and they're going to have all music on another. So his role is increasing. So he's going to be talking about classical music in general, Rachmaninoff, and his life and times on Thursday night at 7.30 is the show. Talkback will probably kick off around 9.30. So come see Michael Goldberg on Thursday after Preludes. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Happy Hour Poetry is next Tuesday, June 12th at 6 o'clock. So come out and hear that. That's always a good time. And just, you know, this summertime is really getting grooving here. And there's a lot of really great theater out there. So please make a priority in your schedule to see the many shows that are are opening and that have been open. Theater Lab still has Top Dog Underdog. They're opening Gruesome Playground Injuries. Quill has its Romeo and Juliet remount uh, at Agecroft Hall. The Mill is still doing Always a Bridesmaid. And Chamberlain Actors Theater just opened Double Wide Texas, which is another Jones Hope Wooten show, similar to Always a Bridesmaid. So if you like that kind of you know, sitcom-ish theater, uh, you've got two options for that. So a lot of theater to see in town. Go see a show. Uh, but for right now, uh, let's talk to Emily. Hey, folks, just a quick comment before we get to the interviews. We talk about West Side Story a lot in this episode, and it opens at Virginia Rep at the November Theater downtown on June 22nd, which is in two weeks. So didn't want anybody to get confused that it was opening sooner than that. You've got two weeks to get your tickets for West Side Story at Virginia Rep. Okay, now to the interviews. Okay, we're here with Emily Bergpoff-Dandridge. How are you doing, Emily? I'm great. How are you? All right. Well, thanks for coming in. I'm 
I really want to talk to you because you have this very interesting intersection in your life right now where Preludes, where you are the choreographer, just opened. And then you're also in rehearsal for West Side Story. So uh, I guess you've been really busy the past little while. Yes. Very busy. (laughs) Yeah. So they're very, two very different shows. So Preludes has only had two productions before and it's very, uh, free form in terms of, you know, what anybody knows about it. And West Side Story has been done forever and everybody knows everything about it. So what was that experience to to come to Preludes without any kind of template to work from? Well, as a choreographer, specifically, yeah, it was daunting at first because, you know, you're just listening through the soundtrack, you're listening or reading through the script Mm -hmm. and it's all very abstract and not really clear or defined. Right. So trying to decide what the final picture should look like and just working through it and also since it hasn't been done many times and there's not really a template for it, everything was in flux. What the set was going to look like, what the costumes were going to look like and restrictions or freedom with that. So working with a really loose structure to then get more refined for the final product. Yeah. It was very interesting. And also... This isn't a show, just so people know, this isn't a show that has like big dance numbers exactly either. So you're doing more for the show. I mean, you can describe it to me probably better than I could, but you know, this is more about movement, I think. Is that Absolutely. There's two numbers that are almost like vaudeville skits that are just reflections of Rock's memory as he's recounting back onto his life. And those are the two danciest numbers in the show. Mm -hmm. But even so, they're not very (laughs) dancey. But they do stand out as, oh, I'm watching movement now. I'm watching dance now. But then there's two other numbers I worked on in Preludes, the first symphony and loop, both of which as an outsider watching the show, I don't think you would know that those pieces were choreographed. But just moving people at the right time to move them with the music to support the picture. You have very just movement based how we walk there, how we get there, and the and the emotions we're trying to convey. First Symphony was really exciting and also really challenging because you're trying to put a person's mental breakdown <laughs> into life. Right, <laughs> so yeah. something that happens in their brain, you're trying to make it physical. Right. So there's one moment at the end where I asked the cast, I was like, I want you to go around Rock and act as a straitjacket and how you're binding him and he's trying to get loose and you're constricting him and constricting him. So trying to make those things that you would often feel be represented physically, right? which was a challenge, but the cast is fantastic. Yeah. And they pulled it off really well. (laughs) Well, and I think it's also interesting that you have worked, so you also choreographed Toxic Avenger and Carrie, Mm -hmm. both of which I kind of assume involved actors who weren't necessarily professionally trained dancers no, 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 by no. any means. So how is that as a choreographer with, you know, you are a teaching artist with Richmond Ballet, you're a professionally trained dancer. How is how is that working with people who may not know even the nomenclature of what you're trying to get across? Right. I'm really lucky in that my full-time job is, as you said, being a teaching artist for the Richmond Ballet's Minds in Motion program. So I'm really well trained in teaching people who know nothing about dance how to dance because we go into schools <laughs> yeah. and we teach the fourth graders dance and then we they don't even know they're dancing right. we trick them into dancing <laughs> you know we're like move your arms like you're a waterfall right. and then all of a sudden we're moving we're okay. dancing and i've also taught uh 
adult dance program for the Richmond Ballet called Rhythm in Motion, hmm. which okay. is designed for anyone off the street can come into the studio and they can take this class and they can feel like a dancer. It takes away all inhibitions or apprehensions about dance and just lets you open up and move. Oh, cool. So I found that teaching dance to non-dancers, the first thing you have to do is not use any dance terminology because <laughs> they'll get scared off. If yeah. you say, all right, we're going to do chasse, tombe, pas de glissade, so de chat or something. I, I mean, I it literally no is a different language. <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking French, you're speaking these other terms. So going in and, you know, saying step together, step mm -hmm. instead of chasse, just instantly more pedestrian, more attainable, okay. words you know, yeah. and also being able to say the same thing lots of different ways. Okay, yeah. So I could ask for a chasse, I could ask for a gallop, I could ask for a step together step, I could mm. say move your right foot, then your left foot, then your right <laughs> foot, and this time, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so depending on how your brain works, depending on your level of dance, eventually it's in a term that you can understand and feel comfortable with. Right, well, and working through it also, you finally put the motion to the word, I guess, eventually. Yes, yes, yes. Even, you know, even dumb folks like me, who you have choreographed me at one point. I, I did. I won't get into that right now, but uh, <laughs> even I got it eventually. Right. So I wanted to turn to West Side Story, which to me seems almost 180 degrees different. You know, everybody... Feels that way. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a very dance-intensive show. Yes. It's got a very famous choreography, um, which... My understanding, at least, is that Jerome Robbins basically built into the production that you have to use his choreography. Is that your understanding as well? Or? I don't know. Okay. I did this production in high school, and we most definitely did not do his choreography. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was great choreography, but not his. But I know for our production that we're doing here at Virginia Repertory Theater, it is original choreography. Okay. And it is amazing <laughs> and amazingly challenging. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, Jerome Robbins, Bernstein, Sondheim, they're all just geniuses. Yeah. And they've created this masterpiece. But if you're not on their genius level, <laughs> trying to take in that information takes a little bit of time. Yeah. And our rehearsal schedule doesn't allow for that extra time of processing. It's just, here's your information, here's your information, here's your information. Uh -huh. Now show me. All right. So just making sure you drink a lot of coffee <laughs> and you're really alert to right. take it all in and to be able to show it back pretty instantly. But it's, I mean, it's just amazing. Well, and I was going to ask you, as a dancer, is this the kind of show that you've wanted to be in? I mean, is this like a dream come true kind of show to be in? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to be pushed, to be challenged, to go home and need to practice every night yeah. and really study your choreography and write it down. It's a welcome challenge because you know your hard work is going to pay off. Yeah. You know the second that curtain opens and they hear that first opening note of the orchestra, it's all worth everything. Right. So as a choreographer... And you're so you're one of the dancers in the show, mm -hmm. uh, West Side Story. As a choreographer, are you taking pieces away from it, going like, "Oh, I need to remember that for the for something that I'm going to put together down the road"? Or I think eventually I will. Okay. <laughs> Once I've stopped trying to process the information I've been given, because it's just it's so genius. Yeah. You know, and right now we've been working on dance at the gym pretty heavily, and all of that's partnered. So okay. all the jet boys have their girlfriends, all the shark boys have their girlfriends, and the simplicity of the partnering section in that we're using the same feet, but since we're partnering with each other. It looks like it's the opposite feet. Hmm. Usually when I try to choreograph things that are partnered, I tend to overcomplicate it. Okay. And it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. And the end result, as you guys will see if you come to see West Side Story, still looks fantastic and looks impressive. Yeah. But in the end, I'm stepping on my right foot and my partner is stepping on his right foot. And there's no need to get more complicated than that. <laughs> 
Well, it doesn't sound complicated, but it looks pretty amazing when it all comes together. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So had you seen West Side Story before, like live? I mean, you were in it, so you were in it I in was in school. it in high school, yeah. and I haven't seen a full production live. When I was younger, I saw American Ballet Theater put on like a mixed bag of a bunch of excerpts from a bunch of different things, and they did America from West Side Story. Mm. But that was all with dancers. They weren't singing live, but you have to be a really great dancer to do the show. So to see American Ballet theater professional dancers do it was really amazing. I mean, yeah. I saw it when I was young. I feel like I was maybe seven or eight and I, I, it stuck with me. Yeah. I remember the costumes. I remember the turning. Right. I remember the vivaciousness of it. Yeah. <laughs> So you are one of the rare people, I feel like, who is at the intersection of the dance and theater worlds in Richmond, because, you know, obviously you work for Richmond Ballet, uh, and that's kind of your nine to five and right. beyond, <laughs> right. as I know. And yet you work very closely with a lot of theater artists as well. Is there, do you think there's a good mesh between those worlds? Do they still seem very separate in your mind? Do you feel like you're, st when you go to work for a theater production, do you feel like you're stepping into a brand new world or is there enough of like interplay that it feels connected? I think we are getting more meshed together. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, let me count, I think we have five or six people who dance for the Richmond Ballet in our production of West Side Story. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's still a little bit of separation that can be bridged. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's really exciting for me to see, you know, as a, as a, theater fan to see professional dancers. Right. And because you can definitely tell when there's this kind of step up in professionalism. So it always is exciting for me when I read through a program and go, oh, they, you know, they've done this with Richmond Ballet or they've been trained. Right. Uh, it's definitely a, a kind of a step up um, that makes the whole experience better. Right. So I think I, I formulated a better answer now for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a separation and it's just because people aren't familiar with the other worlds. Right. You know, the b people at Richmond Ballet who we try to get to do musical theater, they go, oh, well, I can't sing. Right. So I can't do musical theater. I wouldn't even know what to sing in an audition. <laughs> right. And you go, it's okay. Sing happy birthday. Yeah. Just come in, sing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and show them how amazing you are at dancing. And, and that can get you into this world. Right. And it's the same way from theater to dance. Like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I'm, you work at Richmond Ballet. I don't want to go there. I, I'm not a ballet dancer. Right. It's like, it's okay. Just because <laughs> the title says Richmond Ballet, there's theater classes, there's rhythm and motion classes, there's jazz classes. You just have to be brave enough to leave your world <laughs> and go into the other. And then you realize how similar they are. Yeah. But, there's, but there is a lot of hesitation of, will I do this aspect, but not that. Right. How will I do it? Yeah. Well, I think it's, there's also a little bit of intimidation. I mean, for me, I think about you. You are a dancer professionally, mm -hmm. essentially, but you're a singer, you're a musician, you're a choreographer. How do, uh, one of the things that I'm curious about, so you were in, you were just in the Christians Correct. where you weren't dancing, you were playing the piano and you were singing. Right. Um, what do you think of yourself as? Sort of, you know, a jack of all trades. Mm hmm. I'm not really proficient at one skill. Hmm. I, in I my might opinion, push back on my, that. <laughs> in my opinion, okay. you know, I can sit down and, and play piano and I'm lucky that a lot of it's muscle memory. But as far as if I was to pick up a brand new piece, it would take a lot of work and a lot of concentration. But I'm just good enough at enough skills hmm. <laughs> to make me this sort of weird hybrid. Hmm. You know, I can sit down and play piano confidently. I can dance 
I can sing, but I never pursued vocal training enough to be like, I am a singer hmm. and this is what I do. And I can sing all these notes confidently, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I can sing well enough to get me into shows mm. <laughs> um, and to play great roles that I've been fortunate enough to have. So that's sort of, I'm good enough at enough things to get <laughs> me in this world. <laughs> okay. Well, this is probably a good place to end because I'll, I will just end by saying, I think you're pretty fantastic in everything <laughs> that I've seen you in. I've, I knew you as a dancer first. And then when I saw you in Alice and you were a great actress and then saw you in Christians and you were a great musician so I think you have pretty high standards, I think is what it comes down to. <laughs> so everybody should go see Preludes, yes. choreographed by Emily Bergpop Dandridge. Uh, and then we're all, I, I think West Side Story is one of those shows that everybody, once they saw it on the, once they saw it on the list, they were like, that's one we got to go right. see. So They're both beautiful in their own respect. They're very different shows, but that's great. Yeah. Go see one, go see the other. And you're just going to be blown away. Right. Either okay. way. Well, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right. Okay, we are here with Justin Emilio. Thank you, Justin. Oh, hello. Thank Hi. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Justin is the director of the director and choreographer of a chorus line that is opening at Richmond Triangle Players imminently. I think, in fact, tomorrow is his first preview. Is that yes? Correct? First preview tomorrow. Okay, yep. and that's when we're recording oh, yeah. on Tuesday. <laughs> so this will this will launch on Thursday. So you will have already done your first yep. preview. It'll be a whole new world yep. by the time the podcast comes yep. out. <laughs> uh, so Justin, even though he he is on faculty of Indiana University in South Bend. He is well known to Richmond audiences for, among other things, title of show that he directed at Triangle Players in 2011. My first, I think, experience of your directorial skills, which <laughs> I love that show. Bear a Pop Opera in 2013, which won him an Artsy Award for Best Director. <laughs> And then uh, The Boy From Oz, very recently, in yep. 2016. So, And other things in between there. Yeah, Those yeah. are just the hits. So I'm really excited about A Chorus Line. I'm sure a lot of people are excited about it. What everybody might not realize is that you're going straight from directing this show and opening it this weekend to virtually immediately turning around and opening it at Riverside Theater in Fredericksburg. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And, and that'll be a, a, a different production, a different experience altogether, because I'm very fortunate to be able to be uh, co-directing and co-choreographing it with Penny Ann Moss up there. Okay. Yeah. Another name that everybody yeah. should know. And so did these projects come together totally separately or was there some coordination going on or how did it happen? I think I think separately is the answer more so because okay. it just sort of it sort of happened separately and then and then it just happened that Penny and I work in both places okay. and it just sort of came together but I think it was mostly separately yet there's all support and our and the in the costumes uh the costume rental that we're using has been making its way around all the many productions of chorus line happening in okay. this area there's uh -huh. I think there's four happening in this short time span uh -huh. and uh right after we close our costumes go up to that one okay. <laughs> to the riverside so there's there's lots of cooperation not just in that but it's an interesting how they just happen to come to fruition separately yeah what do you think the interest is in a chorus line all of a sudden between all the i mean like you said there's a bunch of people doing it all of a sudden yeah i don't i don't know i just other than the obvious answer that it is a stellar near perfect show the way it is written <laughs> and yeah. nostalgia is very big right now because i just think nostalgia for me has a very positive connotation and it is a very right. good thing. It's comfort food. And Chorus Line is not only the equivalent of that, it is also some of the best theater that has ever happened, some of the best writing that has ever happened. Yeah. And it really started a new wave in musicals. And I think 
that people want that right now. They want to be reminded of what they loved and see it maybe even in a new way. It also, it's interesting to me that is a, it's theater about theater mm-hmm. and you're, you're a much younger guy than I am, but what is your perspective on how things might have changed, if at all, from the time that A Course Line, you know, Course Line first debuted off-Broadway in 1974, mm-hmm. so 44 years ago? Mm-hmm. What do you think is the same and different from back then and today. Well, what's interesting to me about it is that then I I think part of the reason among the millions of reasons that the show made such an impact 44 years ago, 43 Mm. years ago is because you didn't get to see the men and women behind the curtain. Mm. You didn't Mm. get a constant barrage of uh, confessionals and internal looks at what's happening inside people's heads and hearts as they go through anything. And as I was working on this show with this phenomenal cast, it hit me one day when we were blocking the montage. I was like, oh, this is reality TV. (laughs) This is reality TV before reality TV was a thing. And I wonder, since we weren't used to that level of, of seeing behind the curtain and the behind the scenes aspects of people's actual lives, then if it will have a new and different impact on the audience now, because we see what has become 75% of our pop culture (laughs) intake, which is now based on uh, confessionals and private moments and watching people live their lives on TV every night. It it is actually course line moved the zeitgeist in that way, I think, because it proved we had an appetite for it in some way, even though there's so many more things about the show that are interesting and wonderful. That confessional aspect of it, I think, is what is the heart of it. And yeah. I think that's what people responded to in addition to everything else. Oh, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Well, one thing that also was different 40 plus years ago, what I did for love was a pop song. Yeah. And you don't, I mean, Hamilton, I guess, was popular, but mm-hmm. it also wasn't, songs from Hamilton didn't actually get played on the radio exactly. But, yeah. you know, what I did for love did. Yeah. So that has totally changed. Do you ever, do you ever foresee a time where theater musicals will have that kind of interplay with pop culture? I, I think we may be at the tip of that wheel turning back to the way it used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, when I teach musical theater history at IUSB, I, I talk about Tin Pan Alley and how mm-hmm. everything then was, you know, everything that was on stage was then put into arrangements because everyone had a piano in their home. Yeah. Uh, and I, I liken Tin Pan Alley to iTunes because okay. that's sort of what it was. And, and, and musical theater had a direct link to, uh, the commercial success of Tin Pan Alley and vice versa. And I think in Course Line was still benefiting from that, although by that point that that link had started to go away. Right, yeah. I think we might with with shows like Hamilton, with shows like Dear Evan Hansen, I think we may be starting to hopefully turn back to mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, and I think also, you know, the the composers behind Avenue Q and Frozen, oh, they, they, yeah. they have that interplay with pop yeah. culture. It's just not yeah. necessarily on the radio. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, your kind of academic interest in theater, which I confess, I went and downloaded your master's thesis oh, about wow. developing musical theater <laughs> cu- curriculum. And you've actually been able to do that at IU. Yeah. So yeah. what are some of, you know, and you don't have to summarize your whole thesis, oh, yeah. but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, if you want to, we've got, <laughs> you know, an hour here. Um, <laughs> But uh, what are what do you think is key in your approach to developing a musical theater curriculum that you're trying to establish there? Well, I think 
first and foremost, it is about being a multi-layered artist capable of fitting in at any company, mm. uh, producing your own work, as well as working with professionalism and and heart and positivity at all times. Mm. And I think actually in that in that thesis, one of the things I talked about the most was how how important it is to realize that while performing or designing or or whatever your main focus in in theater is that we should also be well well rounded enough to uh, to still work in the theater when maybe that audition didn't work. Right. So, but I can still be of service and I can still be in the community in right. the profession that I love because I think one of the hardest things is is doors being opened. Yeah. And I think if you're if you're outside of the theater, you're not <laughs> working in the theater. Right. I, I think I know yeah. it sounds obvious, but to me part of it was focusing on focusing on the performance, focusing on the heart and positivity, focusing on developing the talent and giving the students the tools when it's, it's, it's less of an if and more of a when in this industry mm -hmm. that you may not be booking a job to, right. to produce your own work, to understand what it means to be a thriving, well-rounded artist and to get work in other avenues of the theater. Sure. If, if just, just so you know, that's available to you. Right. Yeah. And, and also make yourself as indispensable and <laughs> lovely to work with as possible while also being the most hopefully talented and unique person for the role. But it's interesting because that that plays out in people that I interview every week. I mm -hmm. mean, the other interview in this podcast is going to be Emily Dandridge, who is a choreographer, oh. a singer, dancer. I yeah. mean, I thought of her as primaries, primarily as a dancer, but she plays piano, she plays viola. I mean, oh, she wow. does a million things. Yeah. So I think that's many, most of the people that I talk to. Yeah. For instance, you, you are a director choreographer. So do you think of yourself primarily as one or the other or... I, I used to, and I, I used to think of myself as a director who really enjoyed movement a lot. And I think I've been trying over the past many years to move that line to, uh, into, from, from musicalized movement, which I, I seem to inherently get and understand mm. to, uh, more concerted efforts in dance based choreography. And I think, uh, over the past few, few years, especially, I've been really trying my hand at that and trying to work towards that and push myself higher and higher in that in that vein and okay. i yeah so that's sort of been a concerted effort hmm. i always have projects with yeah. me to try to work on and i think that's sort of one of the things it's it's an effort to continue to become as well-rounded as i possibly can right. and effective as i possibly can and i'm just wondering how it works out functionally <clears throat> when you're a excuse me director choreographer are there times where you're distinctly putting on the director hat and distinctly putting on the choreographer hat? yes do you ever fight with yourself about well dance wise movement wise it makes sense this way but directorially movement. oddly no <clears throat> just because i think there's so much going on in my head that <laughs> if it's happening it's happening so fast i don't notice it okay it's, you know but I, I i think one of the things i enjoy about when i get to direct and choreograph is that the, there's less less lag time between the thought and the go because mm. I, I sometimes I'm able to communicate it effectively in both ways at once. Uh, and I think as movement has always been a part of what I did, even before I understood I was a movement-based person, hmm. I didn't actually always understand that until I got to VCU. And then suddenly I was in the movement track and I, and I was so fortunate that they helped me understand that that's where <laughs> I needed to be because I, yeah. I didn't at the beginning understand quite, I just thought that's how people did it. Right. I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't had a chance to dissect what I do and how I do it. And, sure. and, and, uh, so movement for me can change a breath, a, a head look, a, a step in one direction or the other in both directing and choreography can change the entire world of what everybody's seeing and conveying on stage. So I think it happens in concert for me. Okay. Most of the time. Yeah. Interesting. 
one of the things I think you probably have to deal with, uh, I'm fairly certain you have to deal with, is you're a movement-oriented guy, but you have to work with actors who are not necessarily professionally trained as mm-hmm. a, as dancers or, you know, that may not be at the top of their resumes. What do you, I actually asked Emily this in our interview too, how how do you go about working with non-dancers in dance-oriented performance? Well, I think it I think it certainly helps that that we're all actors. Mm. Yeah. And and what I mean is that if there's one constant vocabulary throughout all of musical theater, it's acting for me. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're telling the story, everything else is window dressing. And mm. I don't mean that in any other way than 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 very positively. I think if the story is getting told and nothing is pulling the audience's eye, then we're all doing our jobs beautifully and I think it I love working with people of all different, all different, I don't know, engagement with technique or not or mm-hmm. wherever they're at. Because for me, it is about helping the performers be the absolute best they can be, which then helps the show be, be the absolute best it can be because every person feels wonderful and heard and knows they look amazing and feels so good about the choices they have been able to contribute. So, uh, for me, I love all levels, all everything mm-hmm. because because the ownership we have over a show as the ensemble creating it, I think that's the most important part. I'm curious, why do you think, this is a total left turn from what you were just saying, so Triangle Players uh, is, does a great job of bringing you down for some of these really cool projects. Uh, are you just their go-to guy for cool things, or how do you get? How do you land these great gigs? I, th- I uh, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Mm. I think I'm very lucky. Mm. I think I'm very blessed and constantly grateful that a company with the history and mission of Triangle Players mm. sees fit to ask me to do all these cool things. <laughs> I I'm available at all times for them. It, it, it doesn't matter. I will do anything at any time because of what they have done for me and and the artistic home that they have given me since almost the moment I, I got here yeah. in, in Richmond many years ago, many years ago. <laughs> and, um, and I think it just goes with being open to, to possibility, being open to shows that maybe maybe I don't know, going with the flow and also mm. just being really lucky and constantly letting them know how grateful I am to be included <laughs> in this historical company. Yeah. Well, you, you seem to, you're definitely pushing the boundaries of, of what they can do with, with this show that has, you know, a cast of 17, I guess. 23. 23. Okay. A cast of 23 on, <laughs> on the nice, yeah. cozy little uh, yes. triangle player stage. It's yeah. going to be uh, a little crowded. Yeah. Well, I hope it doesn't feel that way but yeah. I, uh, but space is space so <laughs> so i mean I, I i hope it feels perfectly cozy okay yeah if that makes right. sense absolutely yeah well not all 23 aren't going to be on stage the whole time so no no yeah yeah it's still a show it moves but yeah, it's right. it's yeah yeah it's uh one of the things i love and I, it's a it's a question that comes up a lot in in interviews or just in everyday conversation with mm. people when they've when they talk about triangle doing doing a chorus line is well how are you going to do it how how are you going to do it in that small space and i think and we this is something that john knapp and i used to talk about a lot was what can we do how can we do it right you know how can we do musicals that are massive in our uniquely intimate space and we used to have lots of fun conversations about how creative can we be how how can we bring the audience with us Mm -hmm. how can we be a go-to destination for all types of shows that fit our mission and get our community's message of, of of acceptance and love out and we used to just spitball all of these huge shows <laughs> yeah. and it's funny because in the beginning it was just this this thought this oh let's try to do this big show this mm-hmm. big show and then he included me in bear and i think at that point that was the biggest show i think 
that that they had done okay. on that stage. And I think now it's just about, well, since there are virtually no limits other mm. than our own imaginations, yeah. how can we keep doing that? And uh, But we keep getting the question, like, how are you going to do it? And <laughs> right. I said, well, you have to come and see because yeah. I, I think I think we do it as only Triangle can yeah. in, a, in a uniquely creative and intimate way. I think that adds to the appeal. Yeah, so I hope so. Think, yeah, yeah, to think of so. you know something that's big in a small space. I mean, when I, I saw the title of the show twice, and I was in the front row both times. Oh, really? I love to be right, yeah. in, right into it. So yeah, well, you're going to be doing going from this chorus line to the next chorus line. Are you going to be sick of chorus line by the end of the summer? I don't know. I actually don't know. <laughs> what I, I never want to hear hear what, it or see it again. What I what I love about the show is every night, and and I'm fairly, I guess I'm fairly uh, gullible and or, or naive in some ways, is because because I don't know what I don't know, and I love not knowing things. Okay. I love discovery. I love seeing something new every night. I love – there are times sometimes in the middle of a run with every show – maybe I shouldn't say this, but with every show in the middle of a run, if I'm lucky enough to get back and see it, mm-hmm. I'll watch a run after a week away, and I'll be like, oh, I never understood that moment before. <laughs> oh, I'm so lucky they did. <laughs> you know, because right. because I love to be in the discovery of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my job as a director is to try to put myself constantly in the audience seat to yeah. try to see, well, if if I was seeing this the first time, if I, I had to experience this the first time, what what would be effective? What would shake me to my core? What would make that spirit in me come alive? Right. And I find a lot of it, a lot of my luck with that, a lot of my my personal success with that is because I just love being surprised. And I love working with actors and designers and and being as collaborative as possible with them and hearing what they think about a moment. Because I always think the second I'm done is the second I think I have every answer. (laughs) Because I I couldn't possibly. First of all, it's too much responsibility. (laughs) And second of all, it wouldn't be fun. Yeah. You know? Right. So yeah. Well, I know that there are many audience members Many Richmonders who are very excited about this show. I know the show is already selling out performances and essentially has been extended into mid-July. At this yes. Point. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And uh, thank you very much for coming, taking time out of what I'm sure is a very hectic time to come in for an interview. Oh, thank you. It's, it's really great to see you again and be on the podcast. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Justin, for your time in the middle of ramping up to open a course line at Richmond Triangle Players. And thank you, Justin. Thank you also to Emily Dandridge, choreographer for Preludes and also a cast member for West Side Story. Lots of exciting theater in town. Uh, Go see a show. Come see Preludes extended through the end of June. Tune in next week for more interesting news and talk about Richmond theater. (laughs) 